Hi everyone, it's Monday the 14th of August for me, and it is absolutely fucking it down outside uh, here in Leeds, England. Um, my mic isn't sensitive to pick that up, I don't think, but it is sensitive enough to pick up the various trains, planes and automobiles that zip past my house with reckless abandon. So if at any point it does sound like hell itself has come uh, for me to claim my soul, uh, don't worry, it is just the the Ryanair flight from Dublin to Leeds Bradford so uh, yeah bear with me with that but I'm here to narrate Stop Criminal Scum which I released two months ago haha <laughs> uh, so let's begin art we have decided collectively has value to a degree we all decide how valuable a work of art is we might pay to see a film in the cinema rather than streaming it we might buy an album on vinyl and see the artist live we might buy a painting and hang it somewhere people will see it but we wouldn't surely we wouldn't steal an art you wouldn't would you unless you know unless you're pirating the flash in which case fair enough occasionally though art theft is very sexy so let's talk about it for the last decade security teams at some of the most prestigious museums and galleries in the world have been losing sleep from stockholm to cambridge shit is going missing through a string of highly professional and organised smash-and-grab jobs, art worth an incalculable amount of money is vanishing into thin air. But who's responsible? A really sexy French man in a turtleneck tiptoeing around with a bag that says Le Swag on it? Or was it approximately one million ants that have unionised? Or the Chinese government? Haha, <laughs> just kidding. And then I've put unless in Google Translate's approximation of Mandarin. Well, the great Chinese art heist, which is a piece by Alex Palmer for GQ, is a fun exploration of that exact accusation. The Chinese government are targeting and reclaiming artworks that were previously stolen from China during colonial occupation. Connecting the dots between multiple heists in various countries, Palmer notices that whoever was conducting these heists was laser-focused on stealing from particular collections, collections of Chinese art. The heist at the Chinese pavilion at Drottningham Palace in Sweden, which, if you call a palace that, you do deserve to be robbed, took about six minutes, the getaway vehicle of choice being mopeds and a speedboat. Well, let's look back for a moment and find the first domino in the Swedish royal family get raw-dogged by people on mopeds sequence. It was the final year of the Second Opium War in 1860. A sequence of conflicts centred around the right to import opium into China. The two opium wars lasted 21 years and ended in a rather brutal climax. In the September of 1860, the Anglo-French alliance sent a delegation to negotiate a truce with representatives of the uh, Qing Empire. Is it Qing? I might be saying that wrong, sorry. In Beijing. Neither side truly trusting the other, the factions anticipated the worst and managed to turn the whole thing into a bit of a hefty beef. The Chinese took members of the delegation hostage after a skirmish with the Alliance, torturing and killing 19 out of the 35 captives. The result? The British and the French completely destroyed the Old Summer Palace, a once majestic jewel in the crown of China that housed countless works of art and pieces of antiquity, and apparently had some really good landscaping going on. It's important to note that the French were already looting and wrecking the joint, before the British decided to level it completely. For all the talk of peace, the Imperial forces of Europe were right at home, brutally destroying or stealing whatever they could lay their hands on. Shocker. And thus the stage was set. 
As soldiers ran through the rubble pocketing whatever they could, tens if not hundreds of thousands of items were taken and subsequently sold, traded, lost across the world. Such items as a Pekingese dog. Taken by a soldier and given to none other than Queen Victoria herself, the little guy was thereby named Lutie, which is a bit on the nose, isn't it really? It gets worse for Lutie as contemporary newspaper reports stated that the pooch had to be moved from Buckingham Palace to Sandringham, another crib that the royal family hang out at for those who rightly do not care, because the other royal dogs ostracised poor Lutie. You heard it here first folks, those corgis are racist little shits. Other items stolen included the Summer Palace Bronzes, a collection of statues dedicated to the zodiac animals that are slowly returning to Chinese museums through donations and competing at auction. The collection includes this sexy rat, which somehow ended up in Yves Saint Laurent's private collection before being donated to the National Museum of China in 2013. I believe four of the heads are still missing. Cut to the 21st century and the Chinese government and certain incredibly wealthy private actors are seeking out and reclaiming pieces of art that haven't been on Chinese soil for more than 150 years. By legal and allegedly by illegal means, the art returns home. It would certainly be crazy if other nations that have had their culture butchered, abused and outright stolen by the colonial powers of Europe and North America took further steps to reclaim what is theirs. That would be so bad. Like, don't do it seriously. I never suggested that. You guys are so silly. This next section is called I Did Not See This Coming. Imagine you're an art lover. Naturally, you have really strong opinions on what is good and what is simply degenerate art. The masters of the Italian Renaissance and of ancient Greece are the pinnacle of culture to you, to be revered and held as prime examples of sophistication of civilization itself. Oh, and you hate Jewish people and want to conquer the world. You're Adolf Hitler, General Wankstein and temporary owner of one of the most famous galleries in the world, the Louvre. It's 1940 and the war is going well. You haven't yet succumbed to taking an all-you-can-eat buffet of narcotics as you hemorrhage manpower and territorial gains, and you can't wait to go and see all of your favourite art in one of your favourite cities, Paris. Oops, bitch. You've been Jacques Jojarded. Um... As the Germans advanced towards Paris, senior civil servant Jacques Jojard was busy arranging for all of the art in the Louvre to quietly disappear. Using any forms of transport he could get his hands on, trucks, vans, ambulances, Jojard made the call early, before the war had even started in fact, to evacuate the Louvre. Volunteers from around Paris came to help wrap up the paintings, sculptures and so on for removal. Between August and December 1939, 200 vehicles transported 1,900 boxes, 3,690 paintings and thousands of statues and pieces of antiquity out of Paris. And it wasn't just the Louvre. Jojar helped coordinate the evacuation of... Oh my god, burps came out of nowhere. I hope you didn't hear that. Jojar helped coordinate the evacuation of 200 museums and galleries, helping protect vast swathes of art, especially those collections of Jewish art which were rightly considered more vulnerable to looting and destruction by the oncoming Nazis. Works were labelled with colour-coded stickers to identify them once wrapped, with the red sticker reserved for masterpieces such as the Mona Lisa. Drivers often didn't know what artwork they would be transporting until the day or never at all. The Allies would later coordinate with Jojar and members of the Resistance to ensure their bombing routes did not strike locations that were secretly holding loof artworks. The radio code phrase to confirm these coordinates was the Mona Lisa is smiling. 
And thus, when the Nazis rocked up to look at the new gaff, it was rather empty indeed. As the German occupation began to round up and confiscate artwork across Paris and further afield, they would attempt to repopulate the Louvre with new artworks, including those that were, quote, un-German and designed to be destroyed. Jojar resisted this heavily, and ultimately a lot of this work was stored elsewhere at the Jus de Palme. The Louvre would be restored, albeit with some bullet holes in the walls, which are still there, when the war came to an end and the artworks made their way back to Paris. As the items flooded in, it became clear that essentially none of the collections had been damaged or lost. A sheer miracle. The most impressive and logistically fraught art heist of all time had kept centuries of art from oblivion. Jojar was immediately a national hero and was given all those medals with long names and stuff by the French government. He would pass away 20 years later, aged 71, shortly before his name was etched onto the entrance to the Louvre school, immortalised in stone as the man who stole the Louvre. And uh, yeah, that's the end of that letter. As always, there's a clear moral lesson here, which is that you should steal stuff when it is cool and sexy to do so. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this, uh, and I'll be back probably narrating another letter sometime soon. Take care. Love. Bully.